Hi, I'm Douglas Sinwiddie, and the Cellar Room Sessions are my conversations with interesting people that have had key moments of change in their life and in business. You'll hear stories of real-life examples of people's desire to succeed and what the turning points were in their journey. Join me every week with a brew or a glass of something from the bar to listen into these stories and see if there's something you can use in your own life. Hi, I'm Douglas Sinwiddie, and welcome to this episode of the Cellar Room Sessions. Today, I'm joined by Warren Colby from Agilico. Um, I think we first met at an entrepreneurs forum um, dinner, didn't we? I think you're right. It was over at Milton right. Lodge, I think, wasn't it? And we had a good chat and then I think we, we ended up catching up a few times. But just to wind it back a little bit, um, what were you like at school? Were you a good student? Um, I think if you asked my uh, my teachers, the answer would be no. <laughs> uh, did I turn up a lot? No. Um, did I have uh, ability? I think the answer would be yes. Yeah. I think that was the main the main point on my report card was uh, could do better if applied oneself. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, school wasn't a wasn't the greatest time of my life. Um, really, I went to about ten different schools. Wow. So I, my parents moved around a lot. Um, internationally, I lived in Abu Dhabi. Went to three schools there. Wow. Um, originally from Norfolk in um, in the UK. Wouldn't pick that up in the accent. No, well, I moved up here when I was eleven, so uh, into the northeast. But I went to about three or four schools, either from the northeast or in the south of the country, where I couldn't settle. So I had a kind of uh, a strange schooling. I don't think it was settled yeah. as most people's school life is. So yeah. uh, that was uh, that's probably the reason as there wasn't too much enjoyment. Yeah, um, did that, I mean I actually moved around a lot from schools as well. Dad worked in all of them, like kind of went to school all over the world as well and I find like making new friends and meeting new people and like quite confident that doing that sort of thing or? yeah yeah I think that's probably I wouldn't say I'm an extrovert by any you know I'm quite a private person but I don't seem to worry about meeting people or for argument's sake doing this podcast yeah, yeah. doesn't you, the first question you asked me was would I you know am I nervous and yeah. the answer wouldn't be no, no. because uh, I suppose uh, previously you know doing what I did at school and meeting, as you say, I think when you reflect and kind of go, yeah, I probably, I probably was the new boy a lot of times. Yeah, yeah. Um, going to a lot of schools, had a lot to prove, and I was dead sporty, very football oriented. So I probably fitted in better at school because of those attributes, and I used those rather than you know the uh, the educational intelligence yeah. that I maybe could have had. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying more than that. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so moving on past school, did you go to university? I didn't. So. I had my school life, um, I kind of thought, yeah, we'll go to sixth form, we'll do A-levels. I soon realised after about two months of A-levels, which I did English, history and economics, that um, I could go and work and earn money. And I did that part-time and realised that that could be uh, quite lucrative and decided that uh, I'd dump the A-levels and try my luck in, in the world of, in the of employment. World. And that employment started its guise as a, as a chef. Really? Um, so that's that's what I started to do and thought that that was a passion I liked. Um, I soon realized at 16, 17 that um, I couldn't go out on a weekend. And that caused me a bit of a problem because, you know, I, I at that point started to get attracted to the opposite sex yeah, and yeah. realized that that wasn't conducive with working in a sweaty kitchen, uh, you know, smelling of onions and everything else. Yeah. So uh, I quickly moved out of that position probably after about nine months or so and went into retail uh, retail sales, which is where I really started the interaction with clients. Um, and albeit it was it was selling clothes. Um, I worked for Benetton in Newcastle, 
um, at 17 and then soon after that moved into uh, really business to business where I started in a photocopying business mm -hmm. and that was in 1989. So there's a lot of people I speak to that go down the sales route, which a lot of people in business, you know, that's kind of first foray into it. We were speaking that so many people seem to work, work behind the bar or something, you know, and had that kind of like super interaction. Like, and it is like a £2.50 sale of a pint or something, or probably like £1.90 or something back in the day, maybe, but, uh, or you're selling clothes or whatever. Because yep. yep. you learn like some really good interpersonal skills you do. there. You do. It's, 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 it's a good grounding. It's mm. certainly a good grounding for, um, for selling because typically you, you're either selling to a consumer who might just work in a company or you could be selling to an owner of a company. Mm. And you, you know that when you you know when you speak to those individuals where they are uh, in terms of you know are they your owner you can tell because the value of what they're spending and you ask them questions and everything so it's not dissimilar to to what you do yeah. in business to business sales yeah. so that probably gave a good grounding so into photocopiers and things like that you said and a little bit more about that journey where did it go after that yeah so back back in 89 photocopiers were were still um they were they weren't wet ink; it was dry powder. Yeah. Um, they weren't color. Right. Obviously, other equipment we saw the fax machines, which uh, it just shows how technology's evolved. So, during that time, I worked there from '89. Um, in about 1995, the company I worked for, where I was probably the, the head salesperson at the time in terms of creating the most profitability for the for the business, that company decided to sell. Mm -hmm. um, and the organization that bought them were a big American company who just kind of turned the whole, the whole thing upside down and made the customer journey really unpleasant. Um, so from growing your own customer base, because sales in, in our business is about creating your own little mini business. So I had a territory. I farmed that territory, grew the business in that territory and, and was rewarded. So mm -hmm. when those customers start to get really poor service, that reflected upon me. And mm -hmm. it was kind of the chance of, hold on, I can't. I can't now go back to those customers, provide them poor service. So the opportunity arose where um, five of us who were in the business decided to set up business by ourselves. So that opportunity came, just came about. I mean, I was, that was 1996. So, you know, I was 25 years old. So 25 years old starting your first business. Um, and you said there was five, four, five of you in total. Five, there was five of us, yeah. Yeah. And, so were you all similar age or do you have some a bit no, older? No, there was or? completely dim different demographics. The one uh, constant is we're all salespeople. Right. Now, a lot of people said to us at the time, you must be crazy going in business with four other people. Yeah. Um, my logic at the time was we were a standing start, zero turnover, and that we could grow the business very quickly, fivefold. Mm. The alternative was I did it on myself. Mm. You know, And I wanted to share some of that journey and, and some of those learnings along the way. Um, and it just so happened that five individuals... Um, we all got on, which which is, again, really unusual. And during that journey, someone would say, well, surely there must have been some fallouts from time mm -hmm. to time. We pretty much all got on the whole time through business. Yeah, we have our, our little spats, but they weren't anything other than that. There was yeah. no major disagreements. Yeah. I think when you've got a quorum of five people, you've you've always got a deciding vote, mm. um, you know, and th there isn't a, a standoff at yeah. some point where two don't agree and two yeah. do. Um, Must have been some periods there where one person kind of ended up in a position where they were like, "I think it's got to be that sort of thing." Yeah, so, I mean, what what you said at the, what you asked there earlier was were the different ages, and and I think age with age comes experience. Yeah. Obviously, um, one of the guys was eleven years older than me, so he took the role as the managing director of the, of the business um, because of his experience and exposure to you know 
other things in 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 his previous life um so again i had no problem with that mm. you suppose you look up to someone who's a little bit older mm. to you and you just accept that mm. as the business grew each of us probably grew in different areas um and we positioned ourselves in what we did best mm. and the company flourished because of it i mean it went from you know from zero to up to 2019 um and i'll come back to why i mentioned 2019 to about 17 and a half million turnover with a with an EBITDA about 2.5 million. So it was quite a, uh, it was a quite a chunky business. And yeah. that was all through organic growth bar one acquisition very early on in 1998, where we bought a company who turned over about a million pounds, a right. similar size to us, yeah. but they had infrastructure, they had processes, which yeah. we didn't. Yeah. So we gained that. And, and some staff size. as well and things like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Staff premises, uh, everything that we needed to go to the next level, which was how can we, become a bigger organization so when you went through that journey on the way you know to 2019 and like a successful business with a strong EBITDA and all that kind of stuff like was there moments where it's like oh, I feel like we've stepped up a level here or I feel like we've kind of gone through a bit of a barrier is there certain points yeah points? I mean a couple of things happened technology evolvement from a black and white photocopy to color completely changed uh, the valuation of our business so from charging a penny a print, mm. we were charging 10p a print. So mm. you can tenfold that revenue. Mm. Um, and if you can keep the same margin on service, which you can't, but if you could, obviously your profitability would, would go big time. Yeah. Um, I think that was one area. The other area where we had real big growth is we got into public sector. Mm -hmm. So we became quite good at uh, writing bids into the public sector. Um, the first contract we won was in 1999 not long after being in business which was with durham county council right um that gave us a great um stepping stone um, into the public sector and then in 2005 we were still supplying durham we'd won that uh we, we actually kept that contract for 13 years but in 1990 sorry 2005 we bid for a contract in the east riding of yorkshire mm -hmm. um so outside of our area where we wanted to grow uh, we won that contract um, and literally had to set up an office overnight to support around about um, 500 clients. Wow. Uh, initially, we thought that was a day one requirement. So it was a kind of, we set up three units, one to install loads of photocopies, which one unit was for packaging. Yeah. One unit was for setting it up and the other was for all the rubbish that came off the machine. So um, we kind of set that business up really quickly. And that business gave us great buying power because we're buying lots of equipment mm. from the suppliers, which give us discount, mm. which means it's really competitive in the market. Mm. So you mentioned 2019, why was 2019 a big year? Between 2015 and 2019 um, was kind of a year where there were some rumblings within the business that individuals wanted to retire, they wanted to leave, they wanted to exit. Um, and that was a little bit of an exploration period uh, where we went to the market to see what the valuation of the business was because we didn't set up the business as, as most businesses should be set up with the exit plan in mind. Mm. It kind of was a lifestyle business to a degree. And mm. um, we fell into it from the point of view that a company we worked for sold, um, an opportunity arose, we took it. I, d I personally didn't think at that point, right, I'm going to exit in 10 years. I'm going to take X amount of, uh, you know, money from the table. Mm. Um, so in 2015, when one individual who was the older individual, kind of start to think about retirement. Um, I suppose when you get over 50, 55, I'm doing it in just as to people 50 and 55. I'm 51 by the way, so uh, that, that, that's fine. Yeah. Um, 
we kind of did have some conversations. And I think when you start those conversations, it's very hard to take your mind back into where you were prior to those conversations. So you, you, it's almost, I, I use it like a lot of people who sell their business are at the departure gate of an airport. Some, you know, some get on the plane, some don't. But I think if you're going to sell your business, then that's in your mind. You want to move mm. on and do something different. Mm. You might just want to de-risk. Yeah. You might want to, you know, to, to support your family in other ways. You might want to go and do something else. So we had a conversation with a supplier in 2015-ish, uh, got an offer on the table. It didn't come to fruition. Um, so I think that's still, it sat there in the background. We kind of went, mm, let's let's think about this. We grew the business again. And about 2017, that same feeling came from one individual who said, I need an exit. Same individual again? Yeah, like same, indi same individual again. He was at the again. airport and he was um, ready to get on the plane. Yep, he yeah. wanted to get on the, he was still at the departure gate. Yeah. Um, the business was growing, the business was doing well, we were being well remunerated. Um, and we, we went to the market again and we, uh, in 2018 got an offer I would say that you couldn't refuse by comparison to the offer two three years earlier um it was substantially more substan mm. I mean we're talking four or five times really you know, it was it was a and is that moment. because the business had increased in size and profitability in that time was that just because it was just downright a better offer um a bit of both we had increased massively profitably mm. uh, and had a bigger uh you know a a bigger image to the outside world mm. outside of the Northeast. Mm. And it was a big uh, manufacturer that came to us and said, uh, we engaged with them, a lot of meetings. We got an offer. I was actually in Vegas when we got the offer. Um, nice so as you Vegas, can imagine, yeah. there was two of us in Vegas, two of the business partners yeah. in Vegas, myself and, and, and a colleague of mine. Uh, the champagne was popped that night. <laughs> uh, we went through a due diligence process with them. And that was the most painful thing we did. Uh, they wanted to know the the far end of everything, yeah. And went to real minutiae of I I couldn't believe to which level they went, um, like bringing customers. Like customer we we didn't get to that like... point. So it, with due diligence, you tend to have uh, three or four sections. So you'll have financial due diligence, you'll have commercial, you'll have um, you know legal and um, technical. They're the four aspects. So going through financial due diligence, they try to understand how we make so much money hmm. in certain sectors. Um, and in certain products, and they couldn't get their head around it. Uh, and it, what what transpired from that is we we had quite a low overhead cost of people, bec not because of salaries, just the volume of people. We didn't have three people doing uh, three jobs. We maybe had one person doing three different roles within the business, whether that be account management, whether that be customer service. So we were quite skinny when it came to overheads, mm. which made our profitability. Um, that that deal that we were going to do kind of start to unwind when the company that we're acquiring had a change of ownership at the very top of the business um, and made a decision to halt all acquisitions. So here we are, you know, champagne's been half, popped. halfway through a <laughs> process of due diligence, which is really, really painful. And don't let anyone tell you it isn't. It's a pain in the ass. Um, I think that uh, we then, when that deal fell apart, we reflected for six months, but we're already... As I said earlier, we were further down that. We, we were in the queue getting on the plane steps at some point. So it was very difficult because we couldn't go back through security. See? So <laughs> we engaged again, but we took six months out and we kind of reflected. Um, and in 2019, we did do a deal with a private equity organization where not one person left the business, but three. So during that process, um, when we had these conversations, 
when the I'm Spartacus stood and said he wants to leave, two others stood up with him and said, well, if he leaves, I, and there's an opportunity I'd like to leave. Yeah. Um, so three people left the business at that time and, yeah. uh, and left two of us uh, to deal with it yeah. effectively. It sounds like, so you made a comment a, a little earlier where you were saying, you know, really you should be setting up a business with like the end in mind almost, but it almost sounds like in, so I'm going to get my years right, in 2015, you know, four years before the actual sale happened, you almost for those next few years. You almost had you started like planning. Okay, well, if the next it's going to look like it's going to look like this, and you almost kind of started going down that line. If, if I'm honest, Doug, no, we didn't. Right. Okay. Um, the business was just too busy. We didn't shape it, which was what we should have done. Mm. Um, what we agreed when we did a deal was the expected EBITDA of the business was going to be two point five million. Mm. Okay. Um, we knew that we could probably increase that, and we did as part of an earnout in that deal get it over 3 million mm. within six months of uh, nine months of selling the business. So um, we didn't shape it. Um, we were very, even though I said before we had uh, a limited amount of staff, we still had uh, in certain areas, we still had too many staff in other areas mm. and we didn't get rid of those people. Mm. And that's probably just the type of people we are. Yeah. We aren't the hire fire. We, I can tell you now up until, 2020 when the pandemic hit um we'd never got rid of people we'd never made mm. people done all we did mm. was employ people mm. so we went from z well five of us starting the business to about 110 people by yeah. the time we sold the business yeah. and at no point had we contracted even during 2008 when there was a financial crisis yeah. uh, we actually benefited from the financial crisis because it gave it gave us an opportunity to go and review people's contracts mm. who wanted to save money. So mm. it was a bit of a catalyst for people to go, actually, I am happy, but I want to save money. Can mm. I do something? Mm. And th that presents itself mm. an opportunity. So we've never really seen the recession as, a, as, as an issue as a for the business. Thing. Yeah. I mean, that was actually something the other day, with like, you know, uncertain kind of financial climate at the moment and all that kind of stuff. Like there's a lot of that kind of conversation on at the moment, like recession's actually time for really good growth. If you're, if you're looking for opportunity and you're looking at it in the right way and that sort of thing. So the exit happens in 2019. Yep. But you stay in the business. Yep. And that business is now a Gillico. So that, that business in 2021 became a Gillico. Right, so okay. United Carlton is the business that everybody in the Northeast knew. Yeah. Had a great reputation, uh, had been going for, uh, since 1996, mm. uh, actually since 1987, because we acquired a company that had a uh, an even longer ago uh, company reg number. Yeah. Um, United Carlton was part of a group of businesses who were owned by a company called DMC. Right. So DMC was the organization that the private equity company used to go and acquire businesses. So during, we were the first acquisition in 2019. Since 2019 up until um, 2021, we acquired eight or nine wow. other businesses. That's some quick going. Yeah. And we acquired, well, on the 11th of March, 2020, so it's about a fortnight before the pandemic, yeah. I acquired a business in the Northwest called Lemic. Um, and in later that year, we acquired two businesses in the South in the same month during the pandemic. Wow. So, um, that was a lot of hard work yeah. during a period of uncertainty. Yeah. We, we assumed the pandemic, as everyone else did, will be over and done. Someone said to me initially, uh, do you think it'll be sorted in a quarter and we can, <sighs> it's just a quarter's dip in figures? Yeah. I went, not sure. It might be six months. Yeah. <laughs> and, he, and here we are. Yeah, here we are still now. Still talking uh, about it. And still a little, a little while later, yeah. 
So as part of this first season, we thought we'd gift a little bit of airtime to one of White Digital's charity partners for the year, which is Coco Charity. They do loads of great work in East Africa, helping kids get into schools and the communities and the families around that. There's tons of ways you can get involved with Coco Charity, from their events around the Northeast, the golf, the ball. You can also get involved in challenges like running the Great North Run or treks. Um, or if you'd just like to donate, there's a number on the screen. There'll also be a load of information in the description on the video, so get involved if you can. So that's a lot of acquisitions in a short period of time. What's, what sort of acquisition do you look for? Like what sort, do you look at a particular kind of turnover or a headcount or a service or a product or? A... I, I, think, I think you can categorize them into a number of boxes. That the ideal one is ones that are very similar to you. And I mean that from a, the suppliers that they deal with. Mm. So there, you know, we, we, we typically deal with a number of manufacturers. Now, if, if we go and acquire someone with the same manufacturers in their portfolio it makes life easy because You've our engineers got, can look after the equipment yeah. staff training isn't a problem but you the culture is really key and yeah. their reputation so before we've gone you know evening in inquire about a business and and i've done that a few times i can tell you how i've done that um we uh, we we ensure that they've got a good reputation so if they haven't got a good reputation we wouldn't touch them so mm -hmm. if somebody comes to us with an option and I think wouldn't touch them with a barge pole, we will not engage. Yeah. So that business has to be right for us because the biggest problem when you acquire is you have to merge those staff and that culture into your own. And what you don't want to do is pollute that culture that you built, mm. which is a you know good customer-centric um, service that you offer. So the last thing you want to do is, is bring anything bad into mm. the... And sometimes you, you don't find that out until after the event, um, but you soon have to react to that. And those people will probably not be working within the organization because they're, they're poisonous or they're, yeah, you know, yeah. they're not good for the organization. Yeah. yeah. And there's that whole thing. Um, what is it like values on one act on the horizontal axis and performance on the vertical sort of thing, you know, and you've got those people that might be really good performers, but they're just not in line with the values of the business and not in line with the way that customers would be yeah. treated and all that kind of stuff. And it can yeah. be really dangerous. People. It is. And as I said earlier, when there are different boxes and different types of acquisitions, and I suppose it depends on what your journey is. If you want to get to to the end game at some point very quickly, then mm. you'll acquire anything, I suspect. Mm. We're, we're not in that position. No. So we're just acquiring businesses that are like-minded, mm. have good cultural uh, you know, balances with ourselves and um, are, are well-established and have a good reputation. Is there something like the macro climates allowed you to do nine in two years or eight in two years or whatever it was? Or is, there some, is it just the, your approach to the thing? I think there's, I think there's a couple of things. I mean, listen, if you, if you overpay, it's a bit like buying property. Then yeah. you can probably buy as much as you yeah. want. We don't overpay, yeah. um, so we, that isn't the method that we use to buy those businesses. I think a lot of those businesses, it was the right time for those business owners. So pre-COVID, it was the right time for us to sell. Mm. Certain people wanted to move on, and the cost for say the two of us that were remaining to buy those three out mm. was, it was just too great. Mm. Um, you've also got a lot of people in our industry thinking digitalization is going to take place of print, mm. yeah, which it will, and print reductions have, um, have have taken place. But I think it's, you find the age of the person and they have to be comfortable that they're going to leave their business. Because a lot of these businesses have been going 20, 30 years, right? Mm. They've got lots of staff who look at them and they want to make sure that they put the hands of whoever buys them for their staff in, in the right hands. Yeah, um, And that's really important. So we've always had a good reputation. Mm. We've never, as I said earlier, we didn't get rid of people. Mm. Um, we've, we only employ people. We have a good reputation in the market. So we'd be a good fit for most businesses. Um, 
and and that that helps so i think pre-tamp pandemic that was the 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 leader for most people during the pandemic was people going a bit like everybody else in the world what what does it look like on the other side yeah. do you know what i mean am i now too old should i get out yeah. uh, i'm sick of doing this this is going to be hard the problem with that is a lot of people then value their business at what it was pre-pandemic. Mm. So trying to align what the valuation of their business is today with what it was pre-pandemic yeah. is quite difficult. But yeah. people are, you know, people are realists. We're realists. We, uh, the pandemic hit and our revenue went to twenty percent. Okay, it's now back at. Uh, it differs in different parts of the country. So in the northeast, we're about eighty-five percent of where we were pre-pandemic. Uh, in the south, we're probably 65%. Mm. And the Midlands, we're about 80%. So typically, we're around the 75% recovery of where we were. Do you think you'll ever get back to that 100% with like working from home and the, no. all this kind of stuff? No. You're, you're going to have to have a bigger client pace yeah, to get I to the think, same sort of revenue. I think if you'd asked me that question 18 months ago, the answer would be, I hope so. Yeah. I think as the months go on, you tend to uh, you tend to kind of become a realist. Yeah. And about 18 months ago, the realism that we wouldn't get back to that point happened and we start to acquire in different uh, marketplaces. Right, so okay. to diversify what we do. Yeah, yeah. And we acquired a software company uh, probably about 12 months ago, mm. which allows us to fill the whole of the the 15 to 25% drop in revenue that we've yeah. got. And that's a massive opportunity for us. So just to take you back to like what the sort of deal that you're looking for, you kind of mentioned culture as being a big, I think you, you said there was three kind of factors, I think you might have said, but you said culture was a big part. What else do you look for when you're looking for the right sort of thing? Reputation. Like, yeah. Re reputation is, 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 uh, is really big yeah. because uh, that makes life so much easier mm. um, for the journey for staff as well mm. uh, and our staff. Mm. You know, when you merge those staffs together, um we said uh the the culture obviously is, is the other uh i think it'd be a remiss of me not to say price yeah um <laughs> you know getting a getting a value for money yeah. offer to buy a business yeah. because you take a lot of risk when you buy a business yeah. so you buy a business based on the profitability um you've got to do your due diligence to understand whether that profitability is sustainable mm. um if it isn't sustainable then you you've overpaid yeah um and you've got to understand we're in a market where it's declining. So print is declining typically, um, but there's an off opportunity for us to cross sell the other diversified products that we have into mm -hmm. those customer bases, which is what we've been doing for the last 12 months. Mm -hmm. um, so we've changed the business somewhat. Mm -hmm. So sounds like, you know, leaving school, kind of bit of a naughty boy at school. To, oh, know, I wouldn't go as naughty. No, no, I, I wasn't the greatest. Yeah. Well. Maybe not the most diligent student, yes. we'll put it that way. Um, and, you know, moving into, you know, very much into a commercial kind of role, like a sales role, and now you're kind of sat with the acquisition. Is it? Is it like, is there like lessons that you've learned along into the acquisition thing that have kind of served you in good stead? Like any one yeah. or two things that you've really... Massively, I think, I think the pandemic and the acquisitions happening during the pandemic has probably uh, taught me so much uh, mm. and widened my ability to to understand what to acquire, what to look for, mm. to do all the hard work before we even get into the due diligence mm. to try and profile the right type of uh, acquisition that we'd mm. like to acquire. Mm. That's really important. Mm. And I don't think a lot of people do that. I think a lot of people- Spatagun approach almost. Yeah, opportunities, uh, opportunities become come around mm. uh, and you go, yeah, I wouldn't mind having a look at that. Mm. But I think, you know, you have to be lucky if you do, if you find a real gem in that regard, mm. you know, because if someone's looking to sell, they're looking to sell for a reason. Mm. 
I'd prefer and have preferred to to get in touch with people, kind of sell them a little bit of a sizzle about why haven't they thought about you know mm. their their exit, and that sometimes sets them thinking mm. and puts them, mm. you know, moving towards the, the airport. Exit. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it literally does, yeah, yeah. and and you know it's it's one of those where uh, an acquisition we made uh, probably about uh, 15, 16 months ago now. The guy wasn't really wanting to sell. It was a lifestyle mm. business, but we said, perhaps you think it's the right time. And and we took him through that journey, mm. acquired his business. He actually decided to retire after about six months mm. after selling the business mm. and loves his life. Yeah. You know, he, he's he's doing all the things he wants to do. We, we have a great relationship with him. Yeah. All his staff are good people. So, you know, they're, they're, they're the perfect, uh, mm. they're the perfect acquisitions. So what's the future look like? What's the next year, two years? You know, no pandemic to worry about, all that kind of stuff. What's the plans? Is to cross-sell products that we've now uh, acquired and own the IP of. So mm. that's quite important is that we own the IP of products rather than distribute, which is what we, we've done for many years. So mm. we own uh, IP for a telecommunications uh, platform. Mm -hmm. We own IP for a document management and invoice processing business. Um, both of those weren't hit by the pandemic of pretty much work from home remote working mm. designed products yeah mm. and they they kind of uh, they really work in that space so we're speaking to all of our customers who know us from a print technology base and a service technology base and talk to them about products which one in particular which is which is real interest is the the invoice processing platform so that's a platform that um takes invo supplier invoices, uh, captures the data, mm. updates your back-end system, puts approvals in, in place. Manual, time-consuming yeah, work. Yeah, the, the stuff that is yeah. added, it's the stuff that people people don't really think about. The finance director knows it happens. Mm. They always push people to get stuff finished for month end, and you're already relying upon invoices coming in, chasing them, everything balancing from yeah. a trial balance at the yeah. end of the month end. Um, it just takes that pain away. Yeah. And, and, and in terms of... That, that's a real push for us, a real push for us, because the market doesn't really have a customer-facing sales organization selling it. Mm. It's online. You go to, you speak to your accountant, they recommend a system. Yeah. You go online, you download an app. Nobody knows how to use it. Yeah. Uh, they don't get the benefit of it. We actually sell the same solution, mm. but we're very hands-on sales yeah. with it. We show them what it does. We work with them. We train them because we have interest in people using that software to benefit their organization. So that's where the future is, along with um, another acquisition, which will give us plenty more customers nice. to do that cross-selling too. Yeah. So we're very close to another acquisition finalizing um, in the next few weeks. Busy man, busy man. So we're in a cellar room here, you know, we've got lines over on the wall over there. If I was to, if you offer you a drink, what would be your favorite tipple? I'm pausing. I always love a pint of Moretti. Yeah. Right? So a pint of Moretti will there. always get it. A bottle of Peroni, but that's a bit mannish. So if I was a bit um, <laughs> less likely, lads, I would say something like a margarita. Yeah. Um, On a hot I, summer's day. Sorry? On a hot summer's day. Yeah, margaritas. Are, uh, it might have to be a frozen margarita in that respect. Then. Yeah. So uh, a margarita or something similar, it's, uh, it's not too calorie heavy. Yeah. And uh, tequila, as you know, makes you happy. Yeah, it definitely does. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Um, 
been fascinating listening to you speak and hearing the journey and all the rest of it. Um, thanks for watching. If you've enjoyed what you've been watching, like and share. And if you've got any comments and feedback, we're always happy to hear and, and looking to improve. So hope you enjoyed it and catch you on the next one.